the intense political climate that we are about to go through and a total disregard for humanity, dignity, and even if, as some of us have been raised, well, where is the etiquette? That is not how we treat one another. Where has that gone? Or, if you're a parent, when your little bundle of joy tells you, I hate you, and you can say, excuse you, Right, so we get the picture here. And this is exactly now where the, the study, this Christological and very doctrinal and theological focus, where Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and explaining to them the importance of the centrality of Jesus Christ in their convictions and beliefs. And now he's about to turn the page from this theological uh, focus to this ethical um, uh, instructions of this is how we are to conduct our lives. And so uh, some have taken this to say, see, this is why we should be moralist. And we are not moralist. And we should not be moralist in the point that, oh, this, all we're going to focus on is the way people behave. That is not the way of Christ. In fact, I would suggest that when Jesus does his redemptive work in our lives, not only does he justify us, he makes us right before the Father, but he sanctifies us, meaning that we are now receiving the, the, the righteousness of Christ, and now we stand before the Father as a separated people for his exclusive purposes by the blood and the work of Christ. That's it. And this is why we can conduct ourselves in such manner that is Christ-centered. And this is where Paul is, is now taking his dear, this audience. Hey, friends, we don't behave right and do the right things just for the sake of being right or conservative or, or, or however you want to identify. You do this because of Jesus' work in your life. And that should be our drive, our motivation. And that's now where Paul is leading his audience. The importance of having this Christological theology, this is now where your orthodoxy is about a cross with your praxis. And the both go hand in hand. It's not just about believing the right things, but theology must inform our manner of living. And our manner of living must truly point back to our conviction. And our conviction, my friends, because we could get lost in all the theology of end times and all of these things, but our message is Christ and Christ crucified and Christ resurrected and Christ the Lord. And this is where, where Paul is now drawing us. Now, before we jump in there, um, I just wanted to pause really quick and do a, a, a synthesis of where we've been since September. And we started this journey back in chapter 1 of Colossians. And, and, and again, we understood that Paul addressed, we understand that Paul perhaps didn't 
know these people personally, but um, there in chapter 1, we were introduced to a guy um, by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras was a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we understand that there are people who God has called, very much like me. I didn't know you guys uh, before I became and, and was called to be the pastor of this church. Well, some way I didn't know it because I did come and visit here once before that. But, but I, I didn't have a personal relationship with you guys. And now I do. And it's a beautiful thing because I am falling in love with you, and I hope that you are falling in love with me. I hope that I'm starting to get to know you, and you are starting to get to know me. And so it's a two-way street. So we see how Epaphras was very instrumental. Another thing that we also don't mention, but we should, is the letter uh, that Paul wrote to Philemon. If you've ever read the book of Philemon, it's really about the story of a runaway slave. But Philemon lived in Colossae. And so when we, when we, when we, when we um, read the book of uh, Colossians, we also have to kind of connect in there um, the book of Philemon. Why? Because some of these practical, theological, Christological teachings for us are also very pra pragmatic. You know, think about this. Uh, Paul was asking Philemon to really um, reconsider his relationship with um, Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, who came to, to hear the gospel and accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and experienced the life transformation of the gospel. And now he says, hey, uh, uh, Paul tells Philemon while they're in prison, he says, hey, dude, you got to make things right. You got to go back to your, to your, to your master. But he just didn't throw him out to the master. Paul asked in the book of Philemon, hey, uh, Philemon, I want you to consider something else. Because Paul was very instrumental in the life of Philemon to present the gospel. So he was like a spiritual father. And Paul asked him, I want you to treat him like me. I want you to treat Onesimus, this runaway slave, as a dear brother and faithful servant of Jesus Christ. That's hard. Because now he's not only asking him about this theological understanding of the gospel, he is now having to give up something that is truthfully his, legally his, that is justified in the ancient world of Rome, his slave. Costed him money. And again, I would dare say, uh, we could believe in God, but where it's really going to prove in our lives is when it costs us something. And it was costing. So again, Philemon was part of that audience in the book of Colossians. And he's hearing not only this letter that, that Paul wrote to him, but was also read the custom of that day, as tradition teaches us, the custom of that day is it was read in public. So even though it was a letter that was written to Philemon, can you imagine all the whole church is now hearing this letter too? Huh, how does that do? Talk about peer pressure, right? But this, 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 this was the thing. So then we end up in chapter 1. And again, it's beautiful because from verses 3 to 23, this is, uh, most scholars believe this is this one long, lengthy letter. And right wedged in there, you have this Christological hymn from verses 15 to 20, where the exalted Christ is lifted up and magnified. And, he, and Paul would say, in all of the created order, visible and invisible, Christ is supreme. He is preeminent. 
And then in verses 19 to 20, he tells us he is also preeminent in the church over rulers and authorities, principalities and powers, and he is supreme over the work of reconciliation, right? Reconciliation, you pick up a, a, a Bible dictionary, it really talks about God's um, intent to restore or make all things right. And so we know that, that that whole reconciliation story is that Christ would be supreme above all. So that's the theme that we picked up from, verse, from chapter 1. Now chapter 2, we read how this theme reoccurred, but then uh, Paul, towards the end of it, began to talk about false teachers, about, about um, rituals and worship, and, and, and then he talked about spiritual disciplines or legalists, and he says, hey, spiritual discipline and, 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 and rituals and worship and even teachings themselves, they are not the enemy. But they can become problematic when Christ is not at the center of such things. And that was what we picked up in chapter 2. And now, chapter 3, right before he goes into this discourse on ethics, and ethics, we may not have the time to go into this, but ethics is very, very, a very complicated subject matter in today. It's not just about mannerisms anymore. You also have to consider things like bioethics and all of this. And that's, that begins to pull and tension and it begins to, to pull our minds. So what are the things that we need to consider that are happening and changing in our world today and take biblical truth and say, how do we engage with the dark world? Because friends, I, I, I will say, we are not monastics. We are not legalists. We are not going to run away from the world. We are commanded to be the light of the world. So for us, our choice isn't to run away and let's seclude our children, let's seclude our lives, let's separate ourselves from the contamination of the world. We are to engage a dark and hostile world that is really going to press our buttons, that are really going to push us, that are really going to force us to say, excuse you. But you know what? We are not going to fight the way the world fights. That is not our message. That is not what we are prescribed in Scripture. Our prescription is Christ and Christ alone. And so with that in mind, let us... Turn to the scriptures and let's read this morning's text. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and it starts off this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in all, with him in glory. Sorry, I was adding one word that isn't there. So again, friends, this is, um, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think um, the important part of this scripture is to understand there, this is like a bridge. This is a transition. We are now being reshifted, refocused on something very important that, 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 that the author is going to communicate to us. In fact, Ian um, McNuffton, 
uh, in his commentary on Colossians, really just unpacked for us um, just four things that Paul is going to really jump at and focus on over the next uh, 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 following verses. But these four things are, and, and he describes them this way. He says, this is about your new position in Christ. That, that is really unpacked for us in verse 1. Secondly, he talks about verses 1 and 2 describing a new ambition. Okay? So not only do we have a new position in Christ, not, not only do we have a, a new ambition, but then in verses 1 and 3, it also describes a new life that we have. So we have a, a, a new position, new ambition, and a new life. And then as it were, Verses 3 and 4, he describes for us a new hope. We are people of hope. We are not fatalists. Though the world seems to be going to hell and everything seems to be going negative, we are people of hope. Because we understand that there's a, a final reckoning coming in the end. And we already know how the story's going to end. So as dark as life is, or as difficult as society becomes, there is no need for the believer in Jesus Christ to panic, for God is sovereign and He is in control. How's that? He's in control. So we have hope. We have a great exciting hope that, as the text will tell us. So again, friends, um, a central theological truth that, that I want to really just embed in your hearts and mind as we enter into the domain of, of Christian ethics is let us never forget the importance of our identity, position, our new ambition, and our hope and our new life that is grounded and founded in our union with Christ. And I think this is where Paul really is just continuing off from chapter 2 as he's diving into this more um, ethical and, and more focus on ethics of the believer. And, and, and that is in this. And you find it in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, when Paul says, in him, and we covered some of these texts last week. So you could go back into last week's sermon. But, but again, in him also you were circumcised, uh, from Colossians 2, 11 and 13. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Your salvation experience is not the byproduct of human hands. And that's very important. Why? Because then he continues in saying, uh, he says it this way, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, and here's the key word, in baptism. So what is the importance of being baptized publicly? Is it to check the, the, the box off and I step the, the religious? No. Part and one of the central importance teachings of our, of our water baptism is the symbolic union that you are expressing publicly that you are now to identify as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in water baptism, when you are immersed, you are being, you are being buried with Christ. And when you are, 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 are taken out of the water, symbolically, you are identifying with his resurrection. So if you haven't been baptized, a uh, little commercial here, we are having baptisms on Easter Sunday. We already have two candidates, and I would love to see more. 
But this is, the, this, is, this is the underlying teaching that Paul is just using to build off this emphasis on Christian ethics. So again, friends, our Christian ethics isn't because we are a, a, a particular theological persuasion or we, we view things the other way. No, it's all about Jesus and Jesus alone and his work and his resurrection and also his promise that one day there is a second advent. And so this is really where Paul is coming. So here's what I want to share with you this morning, very quickly. These three things that in my personal study were my personal observation. You might come up with other things there, but I want to share with you three things that Paul really drives in these very, four, in these very brief four texts. He talks about our desires, mindsets, hope, and I think those, those three things there are, are really going to unpack the rest of our time together. So first, here's the first thing Paul, I found in the text that, that really spoke to me in volumes. The desire of our heart should be centered on Christ. Okay? The desire of our heart should be centered on Christ. Why? Observe Verse 1, again, verse 1 tells us, if then, um, notice how, again, he's not starting right off the bat, you need to do this. That's not what Paul is speaking in here. He's saying, if then, it's kind of like a rhetorical question, but, but some, one scholar called this an if clause. This is an if clause. If then, so if then What? right? You guys are all very smart because that's how I approach the text. Okay, if then what? Give me the what. I want to jump to the what. But he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Notice the connection there right off the get-go of our association with the resurrected. Imagine this for a minute. We could talk about the death, the atoning work of Christ, and everything he did but if you carved out his resurrection, you have nothing. You have no faith. And think Paul even said, if we disregarded the, the, the resurrection of Christ, then we believe in vain. So the, the resurrected Christ is very important to the Christian faith. Why? Because in the resurrection, what was promised, what had been fulfilled, also was put and made effective. Effective immediately, this is why you no longer fear death. This is why you have hope. Because Jesus overcame the world, and if he overcame the world, you have given, as we discussed last week, in Christ the fullness of the deity dwelled in him in bodily form. In Christ you are complete. Therefore, you lack nothing. We lack nothing. Oh, pastor, I still don't have my spouse. I still don't have the money I aspire in this life. I still haven't obtained the things I desire. But you are full. You are complete. You lack nothing in the redemptive, in the person and the work of Christ. So this is where, where he's going. So that if is very important for us to consider, um, um, you know, what, what it's saying here. Now, now, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Notice this. 
Notice this. Because one scholar uh, identified this as, as this way. He said, in the word, um, if then you have been raised with Christ, this is the first of two imperatives that we are given. As one scholar put it, one command, because seek and set could be used interchangeably, but they also have two different focuses. So the word seek here is, is one imperative, the first imperative that we're given here is, to, is of, of one command, right? So, so when we talk about keep seeking or keep to seek, what does that address of our existence? What part of our body would, would, you, would you place that in? In your mind? Or would you place that in your passions? I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. Jesus said it in a very beautiful way, very pragmatic way, in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus simply said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So when you talk about seeking something, you talk about what motivates you, what drives you, what, what, what fills your bucket. Right? For those of you who are into the organizational language, right? What feel what what drive what 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 makes you what makes your world go round and round and round? Unfortunately, many in the church, it's not Christ. For many, it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, it's a drug, it's a it's a it's a it's a title, it, it's a it's a career. And and here again, Paul is saying, hey, you know, you need to seek. Why? Because now you are resurrected with the risen Lord. And so, he says, okay, so now you're seeking. Let your, your, your motivations, let your, 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 your passion, let your, but notice the geographical location. Unlike um, the religious and, and, and the, the uh, pagan religions that were all about hedonism. I love Jim Piper's uh, work on hedonism. I didn't quite agree with it at first when I heard it, but then he used the word and he unpacked the word hedonism, and hedon is basically one who's just very driven by passion and desires. So, you know, he, he wrote a whole book on hedonism, but however, th th this, notice the geographical location. Notice the, the specific site. Unlike hedonism, that focuses on your passions, desires, your sensations, your experience. Notice what Paul says here in the where Christ is, right? So, so, so set your, set your, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, and notice the specific location where he places Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So many people will say, I believe in God. I believe in heaven. I believe in, 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 in heavenly hosts in the spiritual realm. Paul's saying, hey, take it up a step, a step higher here. Don't just think of the afterlife, the spiritual dimensions of things, but put your passion where Christ is and so that there's no mistake, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He places Jesus right at the, at next to, adjacent to that throne. If you think about heaven in, in Old Testament theology and Jewish understanding of, 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 of what the throne represented, right? You would see this whole picture of angels kneeling and worshiping and 
and in adoration to God, right? And Paul places Jesus right there. Not as one who worships God, but one who ultimately receives the worship to God. This is beautiful, friends. Uh, another author uh, suggested and scholar and commentator said, hey, this informs our worship because it places the centrality of Jesus at the focus of who we worship and how we address God. This is beautiful stuff, my friends. I wish I had more time to, to, to really just wrestle through this whole thing. But th that's what I... And again, Old Testament theology, right? Um, David, the Psalter, in Psalm 110, verse 1, he says the following thing. Prophetically speaking of the messianic fulfillment that would be accomplished in Christ, when he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What beautiful message and melody of, of this fulfillment of when Christ would come and conquer and defeat the power of death, the power of sin, the power of, of, of the enemy, the, the power of hell itself. And he defeated this on the cross and through his resurrection. Secondly, so the first imperative had to do with seek, but notice the second imperative here in the same one command. We see it in verse 2. Our mind should be focused on Christ who dwells with the Father. And again, notice verse 2. So not only are we to place our passions, our desires on Christ, but notice this. Set your minds on the things above, not... And here's the contrast so that we, 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 don't, we don't confuse this, right? Set your minds... Um, uh, again, set your minds on the things above, right? Above, not on the things of the earth. What are the things that are on the earth? Again, this is, this is radical, friends. Let me tell you, this is very radical. Why? If you want to study past people and their conduct, even with, when they unpack religion, you have to study um, who Israel was before the captivity, Right? So you do um, Old Testament analysis, and, and you come to find out they got so involved with the religion that they missed the whole point of why one was called to be in that religion. And, and so, uh, and again, this isn't new. You know, we can talk about this all you want. But, but for example, the people fell in love with their temple worship. And in fact, if you study... Um, um, uh, pre-Israel uh, uh, history, then you go into uh, uh, the times of um, David and Solomon, what the, what the temple had become. It was the central uh, place for worship for all of the Jewish nation until the fall. And so a lot of the Psalms that you read, when, when you read, you, you'll, you'll understand this lament right? This lament, this, this ache of the soul. Oh, how I wish I was in your temple. And in fact, even Daniel, he would pray, uh, um, let's see if I, I don't mess it up, not to the east, but to the west. He would pray towards the west because he was somewhere in Iran, right? Or, or Iraq. And, and, and so he would, he would pray towards the west, towards where Jerusalem was, because that's where the temple of God was. And then one more thing. Jewish history would reveal to us 
that there was such a, a loss of tradition and religion at the loss and the destruction of the temple. They were never the same. And then if you go past captivity and you go back towards Herod's temple and then you go back even into A.D. 70 when the temple was finally destroyed, a, a, something was lost in the religion that today even Jewish tradition seeks. Something that you learn throughout, you know, analyzing history like this, God was never into temples. In fact, Jesus said it in John chapter 4 when he was talking to the Samaritan. Oh, but you're a Jew and, and I'm a Samaritan. You have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And what did Jesus respond? There will be a day when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, you don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship God. You can worship God right where you're at. Friends, what's going to happen the day that we lose this building? The church doesn't stop. The church keeps moving forward. It's resilience. Why? Because our minds aren't set on, on this. The physical aesthetics that you see. We might lose a cross. We might lose a pulpit. You might lose an instrument. You might lose the building. That's what happened to us in COVID, friends. The church became exile. It wasn't allowed to meet publicly anymore. So what did the church do? It was resilient. It moved forward. It overcame the obstacles of that time. And look at us. Most people would have written you off. Most people would have written us off, friends. But here we are by the grace of God. Why? Because our church isn't man-made religion. It's founded and grounded on the person and the work of Christ. And why we might be struggling okay but we pray, we seek Him. We turn our minds to heaven and say, Lord, you who are the owner of all things, we need your provision. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your power. We need your truth. This is the church. And, and, and again, so th these are the things that Paul would say, hey man, focus your, um, or focus your mind. That's what he's telling them. Focus your mind on of heavens, not the things on earth. Center your thoughts on the things above. That's what he's saying. Again, Romans 15, verse 6. Paul would tell these things. And again, I'm not, I, uh, Romans 15, 5, sorry. Romans 15, 5. Again, I can't read it all, but, but, but again, Paul drives the point there in accordance with Christ Jesus. In other words, he's telling them, hey, your mind should be focused on on Christ the Lord. Um, again, you go down to like a text like Philippians 2.5. All know that one, right? Have this mind among yourselves. And then what? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what he's, he's really driving here. Don't just have a religious mind. Don't just have, oh, well, I, I think this way because this is how I've been taught. No, you this way because it is according to Christ the Lord. And so uh, you get into 1 Peter 4.1. Phenomenal text, right? Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Again, our mindset, the centrality, the focus, our paradigm 
should be set and grounded and founded on the living Christ. That's basically what Paul is, is really, really. Let your priorities fill you, but these priorities should be heavenly priorities, not worldly ambitions. And so, again, as we dive into this Excuse You sermon series, you know, I want these things to be focused and central in our processing of our Christian ethics. And finally, complexities of our hearts and mind have hope now and the in and the then in Christ. This is very important, friends, because again, um, as one scholar says, when Jesus came, he inaugurated, he inaugurated these uh, 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 kingdom principles, right? We read those in Matthew chapter 5 through 8. You want to you read about ethical living and the things that, that are priorities to God and His kingdom? Matthew 5 through 8, right? I call them the B-attitudes. Okay, I call them the B-attitudes. You want to develop B-attitudes? You want to have the right attitude? Read those. They'll rock your world. <laughs> they have mine. But, but again, that's the mindset of Christ. That he came and proclaimed the kingdom of God to us. And so let's read what the text, verses 3 and 4 say, and then you know, I'll start landing this plane. But notice what he says. He says the following. He says, it, for you have died, for you have died, right? He, again, not only are we associated with Christ's resurrection, we're also associated to his death. But notice this. And your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, again, I thought about this word hiding because, again, um, cults usually are mystical. Cults usually are secretive. The nature of cults and sects are, 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 are very, hey, come over here. Don't tell your pastor. Don't tell your leaders. Don't tell anyone. You come here. We found this new way of worshiping God. Right? That's the nature of, of cults and, and very secretive movements. But notice here, he says, your life is hidden with Christ. So yeah, it does have the connotation of hiding or concealing in a safe place. So li listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, you are concealed. You are kept safe. If you've ever read the doctrine of preservation, this is a phenomenal way of understanding this text. In the prayer this morning, we were talking about, you know, Lord, preserve us. Uh, John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, right? He says, Lord, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Well, what did he pray? He prayed, keep them from the evil one. Preserve them, guard them, save, keep them. So again, friends, we are not asked to run away from the world. We are asked, and I think one of our, uh, my sermons for this part of the series is in the world, but not of the world. And again, uh, um, hey, your life is hidden. Even if your neighborhood, your schools, and everything is dying and crumbling morally, you're right where God wants you to be. Why? Well, this, this week I shared with staff uh, from Psalm 46. Though you have seismic shifts 
and, and geopolitical movements and the, and the mountains fall to the sea and the waters rage, we shall not fear. Why? Because verse 1 says, God is approximate and close to those who call out, to those who fear him, to those who invoke his name, to those, and I would suggest to use Paul's language, to those who are hidden in Christ. What a beautiful understanding of Scripture, right? And so this, this mystery, you find it written in Colossians 1.26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Who's the mystery? Christ. We, we've been studying this in, in Colossians, right? Or uh, how about Colossians uh, uh, 2 verse 3? Uh, again, verse 2 and verse 3, right? Um, but verse 3 really focuses in, in whom, again, who is the in whom? Christ. Let us not be confused about that. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know the mysteries of God? And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm all about understanding apocalyptic literature. And this fall, we're going to do a sermon series on the seven churches of, 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 of Revelation um, as we transition more into that, that, that forward and, and eschatological thinking. But, but um, again, all the mysteries and the wisdoms are understood in Christ. A better way of understanding all apocalyptic uh, uh, happenings into the future are grounded on the person and the work of Christ. And this is, this is what Paul is really unpacking, even our morality. Uh, thanks, Donald. Our, our piety. Our piety is, 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 is Christ-centered. And this is the importance of this. So, um, again, uh, a couple of things here, right? Uh, he talks about not just this now, living your life now, but Christianity, again, is one not just of the now or of the past, of the present, but again, the focus on future. Friends, this isn't the story. The story doesn't end with us. When I'm no longer occupying this bench, when I'm no longer occupying this podium, somebody's going to come in here and say, oh boy, what an ugly podium. Let's change it. That's okay. These are the things of the world. Podiums. It's just serving a purpose. What is what the podium is used for, the proclamation and the exposition of the Word of God, that's what matters. And so, again, um, I, I don't have time to read it, but, but again, just the, the focus on future and our morality or our ethics as believers also has a future implication. Okay? So, again, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, really, uh, uh, again, to the Thessalonica church, was being told, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed. Friends, I don't want you to be uninformed. We shouldn't live um, ignorantly or, 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 or absent of what is happening in the now, but what is going to take place in the future. I, I once did an analysis for an organization on Christian counselors that asked me, hey, can you take a look at our material and tell us what's missing? And I said, great. I read it. I, I, I you know, annotated it. At the end of the day, I told my good friends, I said, man, this material is great. The only thing that you're lacking is an eschatological focus on hope. 
Because it's not just about getting on drugs or off drugs. Hey, there's something beautiful more coming ahead. So friends, um, again, uh, the focus on verse 4. When Christ, your life appears, you also will appear with him. That's eschatology. That's his second coming. This is why we live the way we live. Because it is in him. And because of what he's, his complete work that we have hope. This is why. This is why the Christian life is so different. So um, can I invite you to pray? And then, again, if you want, I, I would encourage you, um, you know, to reread those first four verses and unpack uh, what I shared with you today. But again, um, take home. Take home, right? Our justification provided the basis for our sanctification. And justification and sanctification are only obtainable, right, by the person and the work of Christ in our lives. So from the beginning to the end, to its consummation, it is the triune God at work in fulfilling His redemptive plan in the history of humanity. And for that, my friends, we have every right that what Jesus did for us no matter how dark the world gets, we have now been associated with Christ's death and resurrection and now live under the power of God at work in his redemptive plan. Let us pray. Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for once again, your word um, exhorts us, it admonishes us, it challenges us, it instructs us. Um, how to live life and the things that we should drive our passion and the paradigm and the focus of our thinking should be centered on the person and the work of Christ. No matter how difficult the conversations may involve uh, of our ethics, it might be transgender issues, it might be uh, bioethic issues of cloning or... or, or, or um, who knows, Lord, um, even wars and, and, and all of the shifts and migrations happening in the world. Um, Father, all of these things, again, we should be informed by the Christ-centered view, the Christ-centered paradigm into how to address and engage a dark world. Lord, we just don't want to take, cross our arms and say, excuse you, world. You're shifting, you're changing, you're going to hell but that we can say, Lord, how do you want us to participate in the proclamation of your good news, engaging the hurt, the pain, the confusion, the darkness of our world? Not with techniques or methods or attractional things, but Lord, yeah, using technology, using the tools that, that are available to communicate our message. Once again, Father, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and that by exalting the name of Jesus, he would draw men unto himself. May that be our prayer. Now for those who are on the fence asking, I want to give my life to something greater than I. Something greater than money or drugs or sex or fame or whatever it is. Lord, if that person is here or online, I would pray, would you transcend space and time and would you transform that heart? By confessing and invoking the name of Jesus Christ, they would too also experience a regeneration, a new life, only in the name of Jesus, 
through the proclamation of your good news to the name of to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.